This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3539 for Thursday the 24th of February 2022. Today's show is entitled, Linux in Laws S01E50. The Open Source project and is part of the series, Linux in Laws. It is the 50th show of Monochrome, and is about 68 minutes long, and carries an explicit flag. The summary is, an interview with Dr. Mayo and Axel Braun from the Open Source project. Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. Welcome to Linux in Laws. Season 1258, episode, I can't remember. Martin, how are things? Oh, things are great. I think it's episode 1,200,000. No? <laughs> yes, something like that. <laughs> today, today, we have a very, today we have very special guests. Um, it's the Open Sousa project that we that was kind enough to denote uh, to donate some time to us. But without further ado, why don't um, the two guests on our show introduce themselves? Let me start with you, Doug. Yeah, so I'm Douglas DeMaio. Um, I've been with the project since 2016. I basically do uh, events, marketing, um, yeah, PR, uh, just a variety of different things for the project. And... Um, I also uh, manage the OpenSUSE conference and liaison with the company and uh, manage the budget and other things. So that's kind of what I do for, for OpenSUSE. I'm the go-to person for a lot of things. Excellent. Mm. Yeah, my name is uh, Axel Braun. Um, I got in contact with uh, Zusa at that point in time. I think it was around 1998. Um, I'm an open source contributor since uh, 2000s, somewhat. Um, the year of the Linux desktop is for me actually since 1998. That was the time when I when I switched completely to to Linux, and um, my focus is making it usable for non-technical persons. So I'm mostly packaging um, software to make it usable on OpenSUSE, and I'm on the OpenSUSE board since about three years now. A, a board member that still does packaging. I'm impressed. <clears throat> well, yeah, why not? 
all kind of contributions are welcome. And uh, the OpenSUSE board is not something like a board of directors or something like that. But, but um, before... But before, go, but sorry for interrupt. But before we go um, any further, maybe for the two people on uh, listening to this episode who do not know what OpenSUSE is, maybe we should shed some more light on this. Okay, so OpenSUSE is a community project that was founded around 2005, I think, um, by our main sponsor, of course, by SUSE, and uh, we still have a very close relationship. Uh, to Zuse. So this is a commercial company. They are funding their money on open source software. And, uh, we are, we are sharing a lot of values of ideas and of course technology. The latest move that we did was that, uh, the open Zuse leap, which is a classical, uh, release model is now sharing the binaries with Zuse Linux Enterprise. So what you basically basically get is OpenSUSE uh, Linux Enterprise uh, without a subscription fee. Excellent, excellent. Um, Axel, but or Dark, um, before we go further, uh, SUSE, the company, maybe not everybody knows it. What is it and how it came about? What is the purpose behind this company? Maybe you can, maybe you can share yeah, more well, some, some, some that on, on the history of things. Yeah, so I mean, the company really started out in uh, the beginning of the days of, of, of when Linus uh, started with the kernel, and um, it, it really started off as a translation a company, so just a contributor base, and then eventually it, it had moved into um, it had moved into uh, creating. It was, I believe, it was uh, Slackware. Um, it's sort of the. I mean, it's the company's been around longer than like any of the other companies pretty much. And, and, you know, that's kind of why you often hear that people will say that Sousa was there first. Um, but it, it started out based on the translations, you know, before Red Hat. Even, even, even longer than Red Hat. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, and it started from four guys. Um, matter of fact, one of them, I, I, I think he's still with the company. Um, uh, but you know, a few of them have, have, uh, gone on and done different things in their life and actually one of our one of the fellow board, board members works with one of the one of the founders uh for a different company dado um but so they they create uh open source software dealing with the distribution uh they work in obviously uh creating tools and, and for configuration management and you know tools for uh you know helping to build the distribution um you have the open build service which might be familiar with which you know that's sort of the that's the open open SUSE project and they also have the internal build service so SUSE uses that you know they share open QA which is a quality assurance for distribution um, but yeah they, they and they recently kind of got involved with the old container aspect uh, you, you could probably see that through the purchase of uh, a rancher and bringing them on board and um, so yeah, they they are all over. So it's a company older than Red Hat and still being active. I understand if if I if I remember this correctly, they floated twenty nineteen or twenty twenty something like this, didn't they? Um. So they they were purchased by Novell. Um, this was oh, I don't know. I guess it was somewhere in the early two thousands. 
Um, and then, um, you know, they've gone through some transition of uh, being purchased by companies. I think from, from uh, Novell, it got purchased by Attachmate, and from there, it got purchased by um, Microfocus, and then it's purchased by a um, a fund. Um, and from there, then they floated on um, the stock market, and now it's uh, kind of back to where it was uh, when it started off a little bit, you know? Uh, Interesting. Yeah. So it's had a, it's had a long road, uh, but we're back to where we uh, started. But back to the open source project. So the relationship is somewhat comparable, say, to, uh, to Retta and Fedora? Or more like, like Red Hat and, and, and CentOS, when this still was independent and not part of this, <laughs> what was called IBM? Yeah, I think it's comparable. It's comparable. Um, the open source project itself, so OpenSUSE, is more or less independent, although we do not have a legal structure behind. This is something that is in discussion already for longer. For example, KDE is the EV, an Eingetragener Verein. This is a charitable, charitable kind of organization in Germany. Or the Document Foundation, who's uh, publishing a LibreOffice, is a foundation, a Stiftung. <clears throat> and we are actually thinking about something similar. But if it's not driven from community, hang on. That was my phone. Sorry for that. If it's not driven by community, the board itself will probably not push for it. Okay. Right. So it's a, it's so, a support structure for sure. You, you need that those elements, I think, for the for the open source, um, for an open source community to function as a nonprofit. And Fedora find, finds themselves in very similar um, situations as well. So we we actually have a lot of cl cross collaboration with them because they're. There's a lot of similarities between the two. It's an it's an RPM distribution as well, right? But but before we go into the into the low level details, Martin, what's on your mind? Yeah, with, with all open source projects, it's kind of um, my question is always um, uh, what do people uh, do in their daytime, right? How how is the uh, the the people that build OpenSUSE? How are they? Um, earning their money or, or, or are they, you know, there's got to be some people that work for, for Susie, the company, I imagine, but um, uh, there should all, presumably there's also a large number that contribute to, to open Susie from different purposes. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's right. Uh, many of the Susie employees are also contributing uh, to open Susie <clears throat> uh, for some reason as well, because, um, SUSE has also a so-called factory-first policy. And for this, I need to explain a little bit how the open SUSE distribution is built. Sure. So we have a, a repository, let's call it, that's called factory, and all new software has to be submitted into factory. From factory, snapshots are taken, being tested in OpenQA, and if the test is positive, then this snapshot is released as a new Tumbleweed release. Tumbleweed is basically our rolling release, um, which is updated at a maximum once per day. 
this is comparable to to Arch Linux, for example, with the big difference that our rolling release is tested. So you can imagine if you have a new kernel with proprietary NVIDIA drivers or a new glibc or something like that, uh, the one or the other thing may not work ad hoc, so it needs a little bit adjustment. And this all comes up, or for the most part, comes comes up in our open QA testing. And uh, maybe this is the reason that the, the amount of Unix users of OpenSUSE has uh, increased in the last year. Uh, I think it's nearly doubled. Um, so that means as well, if there is new software for SUSE Linux Enterprise, it goes through factory as well. Now, Axel, some people may may have a different opinion about testing because, <laughs> as a people about uh, maintain Arch packages, perhaps. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Full disclosure: I'm an I'm an Arch package maintainer, so it's, uh, I'm an Arch user repository package maintainer. I might add. So, for example, there's this alarm distribution. This alarm distribution was created specifically to port ARM uh, to port ARM to the um, sorry to port uh, Arch rather to the to the ARM uh, processor um, family, and right. they use a high level of automation, basically not only for building the packages but also QAing the packages once they've come down from upstream, as in the as in the the Arch the the original. Um, core extra and, and community repos. Just, just to stick to that example. So they're doing that as well. Yeah, I think uh, in between uh, Fedora is also adapting uh, our OpenQA system for, for automated testing, right? Doug, are you aware of yeah. that? Of the yeah, they, they, they are doing that. KDE uses it as well. Um, and GNOME, I mean... They, they, they exactly, GNOME, GNOME brings a bell in that context, yes. Yeah. Even it, before before system D aligns, but that's a different story. <laughs> and I do believe there are some people from Debian using it uh, as well. Um, and um, is it Cubis OS? I think they do it. I, you bump into people, you know, all over the place because, uh, well, I mean, not for the past couple of years, right? Since since we haven't had so many events, but uh, you'll bump into people constantly who are using the tools. And and you know, I often. Uh, I mean, that's one thing about OpenSUSE is we're really open to the idea of any anyone just, you know, like being a part of the whole ecosystem, you know, like you, if we have a tool and, uh, you know, we think it's useful for people, I mean, here, here you go, you know, just use it and contribute to it. I mean, because that's how the whole ecosystem works. Um, mm. Okay. Martin, sorry, uh, you you wanted to add something. Well, the, the other thing I wanted to know is really about the fact that um, uh, around OBS, right? That, that seems to be a, quite a differentiator, if I'm not mistaken. Um, been able to build other distros, right? Yeah, I must say, open uh, open build service was for me one of the key parts to join this or to stay with the community. I mean, as I said in the beginning, I think my first um, contact with, with SUSE was around 1998. And in between, I think I tried nearly every distribution, but I always returned uh, because not only of this nice community, but as well because OpenSUSE really makes it easy for you to package um, software 
for different uh, releases, for different distributions, and as well for different architectures. If you ever tried this, the classic way that you have to set up a build environment for, uh, let's say, Leap and Tumbleweed and maybe for Debian and something like that, uh, then you know what amount of work that is. And with um, with the open build service, it's more or less a keystroke, right? Then you can, for example, build for Arch uh, uh, for uh, ARM processors as well. What are the uh, what are the usual CPU architectures that you support apart from Intel? I remember Ar I remember ARM, S and V five, V six, V seven, V eight. At least V seven, V eight. If I'm completely mistaken. So, so uh, I, actually, I can kind of go back to a little bit of uh, what had Martin had brought up, you know, with the whole ecosystem and how people work in it. Um, that kind of goes along the lines of that question that you have as well. Um, so you, you'll see that uh, we have uh, the ARM ecosystem, you know, ARM7. We did a survey last year about that, you know, ARM8. Um, we, we, we have in the OBS, I believe we just got a, a, couple, a few Power9 uh, machines, um, PowerPC, um, mainframe, so 390X. S390, yeah. S390, yeah. RISC-5. RISC-5, yeah. I mean, so it's, it's, if, if you just go to the open build service, you'll see all the different architectures and building for it. We have people that are actually part of the project, part of our weekly engineering meeting that we kind of do. Um, and, you know, there are people that come in and, and, support from that side uh, uh, from, who are actually working for IBM or working for, for ARM, you know, um, and they're contributing on that level where there's constant communication there. Um, so that that's, that's where you kind of see some other people that are involved with the project as, uh, as being you know, highly active, but also coming from a different uh, direction or a different company. I mean, that doesn't surprise me given the fact that ARM, is gaining, I wouldn't say the upper hand, but even apart from this mobile craze about what, uh, 98% of all mobile devices on this planet, I'm, I'm guessing now, run ARM processors in some fashion or another. ARM is also very quickly capturing the cloud and the data centers. If you take a look at AWS, if you take a look at HPE's Moonshine, all the rest of them, these are clearly projects aimed at taking away a piece of the a piece of the cake from Intel when it comes down to mass deployments in terms of beyond mobile. So mm -hmm. I reckon that ARM will become even more important in the future. Especially now that ARM is also capturing the desktop, I'm using an M Apple M1 on a daily basis, and that goes to show, I suppose. Well, you know, I was in recently. I was uh, uh, taking part in the Open Firmware Conference, and uh, you know, there was it was really good discussion. Just listening, and they were talking about um, x86, and you know, and and they're saying that that the model's kind of going to have to change there a little bit from that architecture. You know, because um, you need you need uh, just that open environment in the in the hardware space now, because otherwise you're you're highly at risk, right? So <laughs> pun intended. Risk five, of course, being the problem example here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice <Yeah>. one. <laughs> Unless you're Apple, of course, building them on chip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, Martin, even they, they, they have to license the SOC, SOC designs from, from ARM. 
Mm. I mean, highly modified, of course, but at the end of the day, that's an ARM architecture. Welcome to the nerd level of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but we are digressing. This is not the ARM podcast, but rather Linux in-laws. Um, there was something else I wanted to ask. Yes, maybe you can shed a little bit of light. I mean, you already talked about the history of the project, but uh, what's the current status with regards to Beyond, say, Leap? And the other one was Tumbleweed, right? Yes. Um, well, yeah, what's the current status? Uh, first of all, I think our flagship is uh, clearly Tumbleweed. Uh, many people use it as, as, as daily driver in between. And uh, as well, I just learned that one of the other podcasts, I think it was Destillation Linux or something like that, they set up a server with uh, Tumbleweed um, and are quite happy with the results so far. Then we have, of course, Leap, which is following the classical release model. So it is a long-term support release because what we're currently seeing is a service pack 15.3 to the original, to the starting Leap 15.0 series. And uh, the service packs will continue until we come to a Leap 16.0. And this goes synchronous with the development of the SUSE Linux Enterprise kernel. In previous times, when we switched from the 12.1, 13.1 to 13.3, the old development model, to the leap development model, we were sharing the sources with SUSE Linux Enterprise, but they've been built slightly different. And now we did the so-called jump project, where we unified the binaries for both um, for both uh, series for the Slee series as well as for the Le uh, Leap series. So we basically save one... Jetzt fehlen mir gerade mal die Worte. Können wir das rausschneiden? Well, try me, Axel. I'm known, I'm known to have a little bit of basic English. Eine Codelinie sparen wir ein. Uh, you can save a little bit on, the, on the coding. Yeah, that's true. So we, we are saving one line of support. We don't have to build for sleep and leap, but we only build for sleep and importing the binaries into uh, into leap. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. So you mentioned the uh, the history of the project and um, it being around a long time. It's actually the second biggest next distribution. Is that correct? Um, Taken, um, but it, it appears to be mainly aimed at the desktop. Is that a fair statement? Would you say? Um, so the one thing that I could definitely say about OpenSUSE is that really it's built for the. I mean, it's it's built for the people that uh, are contributing to it, so to speak. Uh, in a sense, you know, I mean, you could say it's. It's for the people running servers or desktop, but like um, it's a lot of the people that are using it um, have very particular use cases, right? And so um, that's why there's so much variety within OpenSUSE. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, you have, you have, uh, different, you also have different aspects with like micro OS and open SUSE cubic, you know, you have people that are running servers with tumbleweed, you know, um, mm-hmm. but, but looking at leap as a option that that's yeah server base. I mean, that's, that's also, a, I mean, it's kind of one of the reasons why we actually, um, sort of moved to that. Well, we moved to that one year release cycle where, you know, there's a few, um, distributions that are still around doing that six month early cycle, but people just don't want to be upgrading their, their servers every six months, you know? Um, so really it's kind of hard to say what it's for, but, um, it's really just, you know, people that are contributing it and putting the things in that they need to, to, uh, experiment and test things out and, you know, plan for the future. Okay, but I mean, uh, Axel, you mentioned that you've been running it since, oh, I can't remember when, <laughs> when it was, but... Uh, um, 1980, you said. 1980. <laughs> Sorry, 1998. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> 1990. Just before so, yeah. Prince came up with that song. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, um, I mean, uh, the, the, the desktop war is, well, war, that's uh, whatever you want to call it. It's, um, it's still not been... Uh, quite quite wrangle out of the hands of the Microsofts, right? Um, what from, desktop from... war, Martin? Yeah, exactly. It's not quite a war. <laughs> I mean, the people that uh, like open source and they develop in open source, they run a Linux desktop. But you know, the the mainstream of of people running laptops are going to be on Windows still. Um, do you see that changing, or uh, there's mention of some German states changing Windows PCs to Linux and stuff like that? Is, is that something that you see more and more of from your side? That requires probably another election, but that's besides. I actually look at the analytics quite quite regularly, like once a week. Okay, and, and so, I mean, you know, you. you and it also depends where we're talking about in the world, right? Like, um, because you see certain countries like accelerate more with, with, uh, open source software than, than France, you do with, uh, yeah, with France other countries. So, yes. Um, so, so really it's, I mean, I heard a statistic in the U S that more, more, uh, Chrome OS is starting to be used rather than Microsoft. So, I mean, those are, those are transitions that take place. And then you look at, uh, parts of Africa where you see uh, a lot of countries coming on board there, which is really nice. Um, and then Asia, I mean, like w- I know that when we look at our, um, when we look at, when I look at the, the distribution, basically Germany's number one, U S is number two. Um, I believe it, then it would go Brazil, China, Russia, I think. Um, so, you know, and and that's basically uh, just capturing mostly mostly just um, um, desktop. You're talking about leap desktop deploy desktop deployments, yeah. not tumbleweed. And it's a mixture of both, actually. Okay, I mean, from what I see, it yeah. The U.S. Interesting. I would have thought more like like France or Spain or something, not necessarily U.S. Well, the Europe, Europe is Europe is really covered, but I mean, you kind of, I think 
it's the population aspect that uh, somehow needs to be considered, you know. Um, we have a big following in, in Indonesia, too. But, I mean, like, Europe primarily, it's just covered where there's a lot of, um, a lot of use, um, you know, Spain as well. Um, I mean, basically all over Europe. Uh, but uh, obviously Germany has the highest like on the map it's it's you know on the heat map it's it's the it's the darker color um but the other ones are right there it's just not right i'll be uh, uh open as well i i run you've been to on my uh laptop right so uh i think why don't uh would it be fair to say uh if you want to convince people to or if if you even would you convince people to use open instead um or, or is it really a, a matter of choice, right? Are there, what are the benefits of, of if you know if, if you were to do a pitch about this user, um, just using that? I, I think first of all we would need to convince people that's a good idea to use free software compared to proprietary software. Yeah. Um, as long as you can only buy hardware with a pre-installed proprietary system, be it Mac OS or Windows, it's definitely difficult to convince Jack user or the normal user uh, to use something else because people are lazy. They're just using what they get. They're using what they used to use and um, every change is difficult. If it's something new, then people have adapt to it and it's difficult. If you're used to uh, a Linux machine, for example, and you sit the first time in your life in front of a Mac or in front of a Windows machine, you're saying, hey, come on, what's that? Huh? <laughs> it's it's not easy by nature. It's easy because you're using it yeah, for, a, for a very long time. Right. And uh, as long as we cannot convince more hardware manufacturers to come up at least with a... Uh, a pre-installed, ideally, free operating system, whether it is Ubuntu, whether it is Fedora, or whether it is uh, OpenSUSE, um, the the life for the for the free software community will be difficult. That's for Absolutely. sure. Yeah. That's, so the obvious question Sorry, is, is that clearly, uh, you know, why is this not happening yet? Um, I mean, I can think of one reason, but I'd like your take on it as well. Um, my impression is that uh, the manufacturers have contracts with uh, one major software supplier, and I guess he's putting some pressure on them as well. Uh, to give you an example, I'm using ThinkPad laptops since the 90s, and I wanted to buy a, a ThinkPad without pre-installed operating system, and I wrote to the CEO of Lenovo in Germany, and I uh, got a call back from them and saying, oh, no, we're not selling them without Windows. Um, I said, okay, you can sell me one with uh, Windows, but <laughs> you uh, reimburse the license because I don't use it. No, we're not doing that. I said, said can I get this in written? No, 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 of course not. And with this, uh, the discussion was finished. In the end of the day, I get me a ThinkPad without pre-installed operating system, and that okay. was okay. Luckily, we have some smaller uh, manufacturers like uh, Tuxedo, for example, who assemble um, 
computers, laptops, as you want them with the system of your choice installed. And I think that's a good thing. But in mainstream, if you look at the, the big manufacturers, it hasn't arrived yet. And it's not because it's difficult. It's just the marketing and contracts and I don't know what. Um, Tuxedo, if you're listening, the email is a sponsor at <laughs> lenostinlaws.eu. Yeah. On that same note, I'm almost, <laughs> tempted, I'm almost tempted to add, yes, you can You can get Linux-based uh, laptops from Dell, too. Mm. Uh, because but I true. bought one yeah. about age, ages ago. Yeah. So, so, I mean, the, the, the one reason for uh, is around the adoption is clearly, uh, you know, things like uh, availability of, of gaming software, right? You know, Windows is known for that as the platform for where most games come out on. So unless you're on a console, um, so, so that kind of, you know, unless that changes, um, you're not going to uh, convince that market to change to a... Uh, uh, yes, the... Uh, Martin, the, the, don't forget SteamOS. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, have you tried have, it? Have, Does it work? <laughs> well, their, their, their operating system is based on Linux. And if if, 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 if figures are anything to go by, they have a fair share of, of market capture. Hmm. Yeah, but it's, you know, most... Um, Apart from uh, most most games come out on Windows first, right? That's still the case, unless it's on the on the console, as I mentioned. So, um, and this is when you know, so the, the the younger generation are growing up with Windows, and as you say, it's hard to change. So then it becomes uh, a harder battle. But yeah, but that's, uh, yeah, and even worse. I mean, the pupils and students are forced to yeah. use Microsoft products in the universities, yes, and yeah. this is is the real scandal behind it. I think. Now, is that really I mean, you, you, you asked uh, before that uh, whether this will change maybe in the public sector. And I think now we really have for the first time the chance that there is something changing because uh, Schleswig-Holstein is pushing for it, for example. Um, and even in uh, Lower Saxony, where there was supposed to bin about 12,000 uh, Linux-based installations in favor for uh, Microsoft Windows, it seems that the train is not really gone. There may even be a chance uh, with the change of the political um, of the political leadership in there. So, people, forget about this coronavirus thing. Just go <laughs> to the streets for open source software. Very important. You heard it here first. Uh, on a way more serious note, Axel, yes, you have a point. But on the other side, I'm almost tempted to say, who cares about the, the rest of anymore? More and more things are, usually, are moving to the cloud, and you already mentioned Chromebooks. And if I take a look at the numbers of these units being sold, especially in the mass markets like US and so forth, this is staggering uh, because all they need is an internet connection, and the rest are more or less in the cloud. And on these Chromebooks, normally run something called uh, normally something uh, normally something called Chrome runs, which essentially is an I'm always tempted to say open core project because Chromium is an open source code base. So at the end of the day, all you need is basically an open, an, a bootloader called Linux and mm -hmm. some sort of browser that allows you to do your work in the cloud at the end um, of the day. So I guess, was it Shells? Was it Shells.com had that? Um, that's sort of an aspect, um, which is quite interesting. Um, we had worked with them. A lot of, a lot of uh, distributions actually worked with them. 
as a cloud-based um, operating system. But yeah, I mean, you're right. A lot more workloads are moving to the cloud, and uh, you know, we do have um, we do have uh, something like MicroOS that actually would work uh, for that. I mean, kind of designed for that type of thing. Um, it it is um, OpenSUSE has a very diverse um, set of projects within it. You know, I guess when we talked about earlier, you know, what is, when you just, when you ask, what is OpenSUSE? I mean, really it's a project full of projects and, you know, there's so many different things you can find within it, uh, within OpenSUSE and things that you can build. Um, and, you know, we have, you have options to do that. Um, so I, you want to expand any, any more on that, Axel? Like, please do. Not sure where to pick up now. <laughs> yes, I mean these uh, cloud models or Chromebook models—they work for for a certain use case. But um, if, if, if I look at, at at myself, I mean I'm mostly not working on a command line. That happens every now and then. But uh, I'm using a regular desktop. Um, I'm using a, a tablet, for example, but I, I feel these tablets are very limited with what you can do with it, except uh, reading emails and watching movies or something like that. Um, so if you really have a job to do, I think there is no way around uh, having a, a local, locally running uh, a laptop. With cloud, you always have to be confident that the individual or the company that you're sharing your data with is trustworthy enough. Because especially a cloud is very attractive for attackers. So I guess it's not the question if, but the question when your preferred cloud supplier uh, will be hacked. We are now entering the philosophical slash IT security part of the podcast, of this episode anyway. I get the I get the security angle, but if I take a look at the generation after us, the question backs: Do they really care? They are all on the Android devices. They are all on the Chromebooks, and they are all in the cloud. This is a cloud native generation, I suppose. I'm digressing well, from OpenSUSE, but regardless. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there's still the the makers, the the people that want to create, right? I mean, we have um one of the, one of the guys in our project. You know, he's like 16, and he hops in, um, you know, and and actually, there's a lot of a lot of people uh, who are you know sending him down the right path of of learning these things. But he's, it's not going to go away. You know, you're going to have um, you're going to have uh, people that are always interested in that. Now, is mm. does it become mainstream? I mean, I, I don't think that I don't think so. But um, but there's always a need. You need something to develop on, and um, you, you could be right where people don't necessarily care about it, but. That's the thing, right? You don't care about it until something happens to you, you know, or until you, yeah. you get the message. So. Absolutely. Uh, Martin, but you, had a, but you had a thought as well. 
Well, I mean, to finish that discussion, uh, yes, your your developer is not going to be running on, on a Chromebook, right? It's the, they're on their uh, Apple Mac, MacBooks drinking their lattes and what have you. But that's, I'm on the <laughs> Apple MacBook and normally drink beer, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Depending on what time of day it is, yeah. <laughs> Mind you, in your case, probably doesn't matter. <laughs> let's let's move on to safer ground. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Where do you see this pro- or these projects rather? Because OpenSUSE, as, as we just learned, is an umbrella for all projects, for 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 quite some few projects. Where do you see this going? Um. Hang on, I need to polish my crystal ball a little bit. <laughs> Good question. Um, I hope we're retra- I hope we're attracting many more people. Uh, we are growing a base of happy users as we did it in the last year. Uh, Doug, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm looking at metrics.o.o, I think we've nearly doubled in the amount of users during the last year. Can that be? Yeah, that is, I mean. You all could view it on matrix.opensusa.org, but yeah, basically it, it has gone up. Uh, I do I do know that there was some counting figures that weren't happening correctly, but um, at least that's what I heard. Um, but yeah, it, it has gone up a significant amount. Uh, some of that I think had to do a little bit with perhaps um, the timing or so of of uh, the CentOS uh, announcement, but um, you know, on the other hand, they're, they're you know, tumbleweed wouldn't necessarily uh, be in that category, but but we've seen jumps in, in leap, and we've seen jumps in, in tumbleweed as well. Doc, sorry for those one listener who uh, out there who does not know what the CentOS debacle is. Maybe you want to maybe you want to explain a little bit. Of well, I mean, what happened? Um. I mean, I I could, but but you know, you, you could definitely. I mean, we we have we have good relationships with with the CentOS community, you know. So basically, you know, there was an announcement where they're uh, sort of uh, shifting the way they're going about um, producing, uh, I guess, um, CentOS, and they're changing it more to CentOS Stream, which is uh, sort of like you could say a rolling development but but very conservative i think rolling development toward um toward um uh rel so uh that's that's my understanding of it uh and of course you know there there were a lot of different forks based on that announcement um you have uh rocky linux alma and then of course a lot of people um really transitioned to open source leap as well so i mean like that it, if I'm missing anything, please, please feel free to um, add. <laughs> some people told me essentially, Red Hat after the acquisition by IBM brought uh, broke their promise in terms of CentOS, basically following the code base of Red Hat and making sure that the quality levels stay the same or also release cadence stay the same. And apparently that, and and of course, the the duration of support that you would get with a CentOS release was shrunk and hence the stream thing. And that was what I'm looking for somewhat made a few people in order to avoid the, the term annoyed, made them reconsider their choice of operating system in terms of Linux enterprise distribution. And that's probably the thing basically that you saw 
when quite a few people jumped over to to uh, to OpenSUSE. Because at the end of the day, if I, if I understand this correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, <clears throat> OpenSUSE follows the code base of something called SUSE Linux Enterprise System, also known as LAS. Yeah, I mean, it, it is fully compatible. I mean, it's built from the, the sources and the binaries, uh, LEPIS. And, and so, uh, you know, it took it took some years to do that. And, you know, Axel kind of explained that a little bit earlier. Um, but basically, we'd been working in that direction as much as possible. And now we got it down to uh, basically where it needs to be to literally, uh, my understanding, I haven't done it myself, but, um, you know, if you wanted to go from LEAP to, the enterprise, um, uh, SUSE Linux enterprise, you know, it's basically the, the branding packages that it, you switch over and you're right there. So it takes like 20 seconds or something like that, as opposed to um, the other, you know, what it was in the past. But we'd always been working in that direction, you know, from the 42 series. The 15 series showed a lot more promise. Uh, the 42 series was a in itself a, a, a movement, right? It was... Well, hey, let's do this, and um, and then fifteen kind of got closer, and then ultimately, like, yeah, fifteen point three was the one that really was the game changer, and so uh, we're looking at coming out with fifteen point four um, sometime in, we'll say, early summer, around the time of the Open SUSE conference, um, which should be in June ish time frame, and then uh, guaranteed. Also, that we'll be having a 15.5. And so overall, if you look at the 15 series, I mean, it's, I think, it's on the roadmap, or actually, the, I think it's like uh, on the wiki where it's talking about the uh, uh, life series or the life cycle of uh, Leap. And it's, you know, it's no successor has been named yet. And the way that uh, Leap works is basically. Uh, once a new version comes out, uh, the old version will run for another six months. So basically you're looking at minor versions running roughly 18 months, you know, and the major, major versions are, you know, um, well, well past 72 months. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like in the eighties or nineties amount of month months. Um. Yes, you mentioned the conference. You want to plug it in terms of what it is and who should attend? Well, actually, um, yeah, sure. That you know, that's we we have the call for papers. It just opened up. Uh, we do. We're planning to go for a um, a physical conference in Nuremberg. We do it at the Zetbau uh, in Nuremberg, and people that would uh, we would like to submit talks could be anyone from anyone in the open source community. Um, you know, we, we have a, a, a certain tracks uh, dealing with new technologies, you know, OpenSUSE tracks, community tracks, uh, cloud and container tracks. Uh, but, you know, people uh, people that we would like to see come are but basically all, all the distros, right? Like, you know, if, you're, if you have something you want to share with the community, I mean, it's a great opportunity. And, um, and I don't know if any of you are familiar with SoftIron. Um, the ARM servers that came out like it was a yes. while back, um, you know, they, they basically sort of test piloted their, their talk cause they had to talk with Red Hat, but they test pilot with us and, and <clears throat> announced the release of their ARM server 
uh, at our conference. And I mean, like, those are, those are the things like we would really like just people to like participate. And I know we've had people from Ubuntu come red hat, um, uh, Fedora, um, Debian, just a variety of different people. So you just mentioned Debian, so it's more like a DebConf where you can submit pretty much anything as long as it's of interest for the open source community. It doesn't have to be distribution related. No, no, it doesn't. So if Martin wants to submit his proposal on quantum computing on an ARM chip as an emulator, that's the place to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Martin, you heard it here first. Go ahead. Yeah, how much time have we got there? And it would be even better if he brings the demo system along. Sufficient cooling facilities. Martin has been working on that for the last 20 years, but that's another story. Right. Anyway. So quite finished, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> cool, cooling can be an issue. So it's either quantum computing or cold beer. Huh? Can you provide zero Kelvin, I wonder? <laughs> At the conference. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Doug just mentioned uh, cloud computing com uh, containers and something like that. Maybe um, we should uh, briefly talk about two quite new developments in the in the OpenSUSE world, and this is MicroOS and Cubic. Um, MicroOS is a minimalistic, self-contained, transactional system which technically is based on tumbleweed. So minimalistic means it comes um, when you install it with a very small set of um, software. Uh, transactional means that it runs from a read-only file system. It makes use of the ButterFS file system. And once you apply an update, which the system does automatically, it checks the update. And if the update is okay, it requires a reboot. And then it runs from the new slice, so from the new read-only file system. If it's not okay, it rolls back automatically. And the intention for that was originally for edge computing and something like that. But as the people are quite creative, they started using it as a desktop environment. So as such, you can install all the packages that you get from Tumbleweed, for example. I think we're shipping some 15 to 18,000 uh, programs. Or you can also use uh, Flatpak, for example, or app images on it. And... MicroOS combined with Kubernetes as management for large computer, uh, large container deployments is Cubic. So it's technically the same basis as, as MicroOS. And I think you mentioned that briefly in the beginning of our talk. Um, there is since sometimes a project working on a MicroOS based on Leap. And I think that is about to be released in one of the coming weeks. Doc, do you know more? Um, oh, I, I don't recall the exact time frame, but I know. So we had it at the community meeting where where, uh, where Lubash was discussing it, and um, they were supposed to have a beta coming coming up soon. Actually, it should it should come up very soon since we're actually getting close to the beta cycle of Leap anyway, so I would expect mm. it to come out. 
uh, just wondering weeks. if if you're clearly targeting this more and more at the at the enterprise or kind of zero downtime community are there any plans if i mean if you still have to reboot the kernel after an update are there any plans for technology similar to kpatch or kgraft in that regard as in basically you can patch the kernel and then do no reboot you simply basically lift the, let the let the let the let the system work on as in run on as in live patching any plans i mean the reason why I'm asking this is quite straightforward because if you're if you're targeting the container ecosystem, you're targeting automatically more or less the data center as an enterprise grade deployments. And there typically change windows tend to be really small, if at all. I mean I'm not quite certain, um, but when you update microOS, um I don't think it requires like you need an automatic reboot. It's just when it does reboot, it goes into that new one. Is that correct, Axel? No, it needs a reboot because, as I said, it runs from a read-only file system. Uh, the change is applied basically in new snapshot, and then you need to activate the snapshot somehow. Oh, okay. So that has nothing to do with uh, kernel live patching or something like that. Um, which is, I think, available for SLE. And I have to admit, I didn't look into it. I don't know whether it would be available on Leap or something like that as well. But but the understanding, right, is that, that if you're looking at cloud computing and things of that nature, like is it sort of just throwing, I mean, um, you, you know, if you're running a bunch of containers or whatnot, like, it's not like all that important, you know, because you have the container orchestration, you'll be using a variety of different machines. So it's just a matter of, you know, how you, how you do that, right. With maybe uh, some sort of configuration management tool, which also like, if you look at UUni, which is another um, sort of project as well, that kind of falls in the open SUSE spectrum a little Interesting. bit. Um. And these two developments came out of came out of the came out of the Ranch acquisition. Uh, you know, it was before Rancher. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, way before. Yeah. So, what yeah. are the plans for the for the Rancher technology that the acquisition brought into the game? If you can talk about it. I think it. you I think you need to ask Suze about that. <laughs> it's nothing of the community. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really, to be honest, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm here for OpenSUSE, and that's really kind of what I... What but, I but the Rancher code base was open source, too, if I remember correctly, right? Yes, yes. I mean, they have, they, they have a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of users, and those users apparently, you know, um, are the, the user base uh, becomes the customer base, right? So, I mean, mm. like, um, but... Uh, I, I'm not, I mean, they've been around a while. I know, uh, we, we bumped into them before the acquisition happened. And I mean, OpenSUSE itself, like we work with them because we do the Google Summer of Code and, you know, we, uh, obviously reached out to, to them to see if they wanted to participate. They hadn't, they weren't aware of it. Um, but, uh, we, they were part of our Google Summer of Code last year, but it was just a, a matter of like, you know, just supporting them administratively from, the open source side. Yeah, I mean, containers are a different piece anyway. You just have to take a look at the OpenShift. Native Kubernetes, of course, comes to mind. The likes of 
swarm that have clearly died, more or less. Well, Docker itself is at 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 his disposal, I suppose, um, in terms of what's going to happen to the future. They sold the enterprise assets to something called Mirantis. And I think the Docker desktop thing probably might be a stillborn long term. So it remains to be seen, but the juice is really actually in the, on, on the enterprise level in terms of having orchestration frameworks such as OpenShift that really drives a couple of million V cores in a data center or data centers across the globe in containers. Rumor has it that if you type a search query into Google, it runs in, in its own container. And given the fact that at least four or five people on any, on any given day use Google as their main search, and that's quite a few. Mm. It may be more than four people. <laughs> so it sounds like Cubic is a bit of an alternative for OpenShift right, on, on your side. Would you agree with that? Does it do more or less than OpenShift? Any thoughts on this? I know that they no. work together, but Axel, if you have anything to... No, that's not in my area of expertise. I can't comment on that. So I mean, I, probably won't be in the show notes. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't... I'm not so familiar with it, but I know that there's a lot of cro- class collaboration there just based on the packages that are involved, right? So, like, you know, but you have uh, various... Um, yeah. Like I believe Cryo is one one of the packages that might be across for both of them, Podman, things like that. It, it, exactly. Done. As far as I know, basically they are all OCI compliant as an open container initiative, and that's the defi- and that's the API definition. Cryo probably being the best example, as in the container runtime. Yeah. That Docker open sourced at some stage. But um, this brings us neatly to the end of the container section of this podcast. <laughs> Guys, uh, before we close this off, any any final thoughts, especially from a community perspective? So are there are you still looking for, for hands on the ground or feet on the ground, whatever you want to call it, in terms of people joining the project? If so, what are you looking for? What are we looking for? I think we can we can use, make use of hands in any areas, be it documentation, be it uh, moderation of our discussion discussion channels. Um, our website could need a refresh as well. Um, I think we're not looking for something specific, uh, but we welcome any kind of contribution. Now, one of our community members said once, um, OpenSUSE is a duocracy. That means those who do decide. So if you have a good idea and you want to bring it onto OpenSUSE, uh, feel free to do so as long as you're staying within the guidelines. Um, then you can basically do anything that you like to do. Except, of course, things that are related to proprietary code, especially codex or something like that, uh, which we do not allow on our infrastructure. So, Martin, just wondering, is, is that D-Wave 2X thing that you keep talking about, is that proprietary in nature? If not, just go ahead and do that quantum computing port. I'll, I'll think about it for the talk here. Good plan. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I, I'd like to follow on to the board members' uh, talk. Is that also like, 
you know, governance is the big thing, right? Like these things, uh, we, we just had our, our open SUSE board elections. And I mean, you know, these things are relatively important. We hope that people do get involved and, and participate in the governance act governance aspect contributing in all other facets of open source or open source is great but you know there is that aspect of governance that it needs to uh, exist in order for the whole system to function so so doc what what type of people are you looking for in that case well you know um basically just someone that is willing to you know do kind of what Axel does, you know, you're, you're an ambassador. Um, you, you take part in the project. You're heavily involved. You mediate, you, uh, um, deconflict things. Uh, I mean, there are certain qualities that, that you know, we all have and some are better things than others. Um, and I just, I think that from, a uh, from a governance side, Uh, you need people that can lead, whether that's talking to the media, whether that's, um, you know, reaching out to someone who might have an issue with another person uh, in, a, in a project that maybe uh, where conflict exists um, and they have the right skills to, you know, make yeah, two people come together or, or um, solve their problems in a, in a, in a fashion that's uh, not confrontational. So, so that goes from from people like myself who can't who cannot stop talking at all or to a lesser extent, right up to technical people who can solve code bases conflicts. Yes, or people who run our infrastructures. We have the Heroes team, for example, uh, who is managing all the OpenSUSE infrastructure, mail server forums, and so on and so on. People, you heard it first. If you're looking for an interesting hobby, who should they send mail to? Well, I would say probably check out list.opensusa.org. Um, the URL will be in the show notes, yes. There'll be, uh, you know, there's a lot of different uh, um, projects within that. And um, and so you could you could find it. Uh, or the simple solution is just, just to email Uh, OpenSUSE-project at OpenSUSE.org. That email address, please. yes, will be certain in the show notes. <laughs> you have to subscribe, though. So, no, no problem. And is there a website that people could check out before subscribing to that mailing list? I wonder. For the people who do not know what email is, there might be <laughs> the one, two, or three out there. I don't know. Or a fax. Um, I would say they could go to get. .opensusa.org or opensusa.org. Uh, those are some key options. Uh, there are a variety of different email or a variety of different websites we have. Um, you know, we have forums, we have social media. Uh, we have a variety of different channels that people can reach out. You can go to simply chat.opensusa.org if you want to talk to someone. And got to give the bar a plug. We actually started a bar a virtual bar. Uh, you can go there now if you want, but it would be uh, meet.opensusa.org slash bar, and there'll be people hanging out in there 
chatting and i mean that's that's a good entry point for yeah that's a good idea uh doug this is really a nice thing it started a little bit more than a year ago and usually you find always somebody there from all over the world and that makes it makes it really interesting wow martin that's probably something we should, yeah we should probably think about yeah. for these in-laws uh, on a totally different <laughs> note um For people like Martin and myself, as in the dinosaurs in the community, do you run an IRC channel or something like this for OpenSUSE? Yes, we also have an IRC channel or multiple IRC channels. Perfect. Where usually the developers and so on hang around. The details will be on OpenSUSE.org. Not for the IRC stuff. Okay. <laughs> It's actually on the wiki, um, but I'll send you... I'll send you a copy please, of that. Yeah, please, please do so that I can. I mean, if the wiki, of course, if the wiki is public, if it's not, don't bother. <laughs> It is. Perfect. Anything that you want to mention before we close up the show? Thank you. You're welcome. You're giving us an opportunity to talk about OpenSUSE and open source. Anytime, because at the end of the day, OpenSUSE uh, Open relates to SUSE, and SUSE, of course, is a German company that makes it a communist cooperative. <laughs> <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> and not to forget, we, we cooperate with the communists around the world. There you uh, go. Good, good friends from Debian and the other communities. <laughs> Guys, the aside, that has been more than a pleasure. Um, Martin, you want to do the honors? Yeah, thank you very much. It's been, been a real pleasure and uh, great to hear about OpenSUSE. And I and might even you. go and try it out myself. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us here. And uh, if you cannot decide uh, where to start with uh, OpenSUSE, just uh, download Tumbleweed with the KDE desktop. We have 10 more desktops to install. Uh, you don't need a second distribution for that, like a K, an X, or an L, and you know what's coming afterwards. Um, just give it a try. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And it has been a pleasure. This is the Linux in-laws. You come for... The knowledge. But stay for the madness. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for the song Salut Margaret, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. You find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Gemando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. <laughs>
may, Martin, for obvious reasons, may maybe it may be tricky for Martin to 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 enter that kind of a proposal for that quantum thing, because as you probably know, the Britain is no longer a part of the European <laughs> Union, and there's this pandemic thing. There might be some paperwork. <laughs> <in. laughs> yes, but let me see what I can do about this. So you're actually living in Bamber, Connecticut, and not Bamber, Bavaria. <laughs> I see. I live in my own world, I guess. <laughs> just checking. I'm just checking. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I would really like to see you again because it's been a while since. I mean, we, we last met, I think, in, in St. Augustine, if I'm completely mistaken, as in Frostgorn. And that's Frostgorn. at least at least three years back, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it was probably the one I got my ticket on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Now it's nicely framed in your uh, in your living room, right? <laughs> I get one. I get one per year for some reason. They always get me. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR is kindly provided by anhonesthost.com, the Internet Archive, and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.